0: Hello, welcome everyone to our third guest episode, fourth in general. Today we're gonna talk to our friend, actually, a friend of me and Dmitry. Tina, haven't met him before, so that's gonna be interesting. Uh, and without further ado, this is your phrase, Dmitry, and yes. I was gonna use it. Without further ado, we're gonna introduce Lowry. Hi, guys. Good Hello. to be here with you all today. Hi, Larry. It's Thanks so for having me on. Doing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know, guys. As far as I know Larry the most, the best, uh, maybe you can start up with the warm-up questions so I'm gonna dive into a little bit later. Yeah, okay. Larry, just tell us. About a little yourself. bit a little bit about yourself i mean the most general <laughs> the question out just as broad as
1: abroad. possible okay as broad as possible cool yeah. yeah so i'm 27 i'm from the uk originally england specifically little small town in the middle i've been living kind of internationally being a quote unquote expat as such for nearly 10 years now for the last kind of nine years so i left the uk when i was 18 haven't been back Well, I've been back quite a few times, but have never gone to live back there. So, yeah, I lived in Spain for five years, lived in Barcelona specifically for that whole time. And then, you know, Netherlands for nearly four years now. So, yeah, I suppose I'm qualified as an expat as per (laughs) the official, official classification.
2: Sure. Do you want to talk about your line of business? What do you do for living?
1: Sure. Yeah, 100%. So I work for a company called Synergy that runs an event called Endlit Europe, which is themed around renewable energy, the energy transition, specifically in Europe. So it's this big kind of three-day conference event that happens annually in a kind of different Mm -hmm. European capital city each time. But you know this is it's quite a new job for me i've been doing it for for about a year or so and really loving it but i'm working specifically in sales
0: okay. for for this company yeah
2: great yeah
0: well, yeah that's a great overview but let's get back a little bit chronologically wise so can you tell us about the time of your life when you decided to leave UK? What were the reasons behind it?
2: What did you uh, escape at this early age?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm coming, coming from a very
1: small town, as I say, kind of, you know, I think it was kind of 20, 30,000 people. I was kind of undecided about what I would go to study. I thought that going to university at some point was was for me, but I was kind of like, I just don't want to go and study something for the sake of it. You know, I want to make my mind up a little bit, kind of go on. "Quote unquote" gap year sort of thing. So, ten years of a gap year. Yeah, still, still gapping, yeah. <laughs> still a gap decade. Gen Z of you. you. <laughs> it's it is. I'm not quite a, a zoomer. Fortunately for me, no offense to you guys, if you if you are, but I, I'm just on the millennial cutoff, ninety six. Let's go. So, yeah, I don't know why I left in in particular. I mean, kind of, it was kind of a weird political climate in the UK at the time. We had a kind of conservative government for the last, well, at that point, for kind of four or five years. Things were just kind of getting worse a little bit. And, you know, I just had liked Spain all my life. had been studying a bit of Spanish at school and kind of wanted to go to Spain specifically to kind of get a f- some degree of fluency in Spanish to kind of just, yeah, try something, try something a little bit different. And, yeah, I, I suppose, as I say, it wasn't really kind of due to uh, like a dislike of the UK necessarily, but more kind of just a just to explore. Yeah, things, try, something, try something new. new. Hundred percent. As soon as I kind of was out of there, I was like, "Wow, man, this is a complete different world." Small town environment, going to kind of the big Barcelona city of Barcelona. Such a huge city. Yeah, it's just very international. It's very kind of you know young city. It's very you know cosmopolitan. There's a lot of great things about it. So it was a big change, but yeah, very much a fan of mm-hmm. Spain. And what were you doing there in Barcelona? Everything and anything, my friend, a little bit of everything. So when I first got over there, I stayed in the cheapest hostel in Barcelona, a place called Graffiti Hostel, which I still hold in high regard, (laughs) kind of in the deep corner of the city. When I was there, I think on the second day of staying there, I went to the front desk and the the manager was fortunately working there at the time. And I said, have you got a job for me? And he was like, you know what? I think I might. (laughs) So, So just wait there a second and I'll get back to you. So I went to go see him a couple of days later, and he was like, I've got an opening uh, on the reception, the night shift, midnight until 8 a.m. It's five, six days a week sort of thing. 500 euros a month. But you get a, you know, room. But
2: ten years ago, so...
1: uh, Yeah, I mean, inflation, (laughs) (laughs) and the Spanish, you know, cost of living is a little bit lower, I would say. So I was here. Pretty pretty good deal, considering. (sighs) I mean, even then I knew it was a shit deal, but it's still, (laughs) I just place to stay that was kind of a big thing for me and it was sharing a room with three ever sweaty guys you know what i mean and kind of you know less than stellar conditions but it was somewhere for a roof over my head a a bit of a wage as well so yeah i kind of did that for about six months and had a lot of fun doing it a lot of adventures as a kind of 18 year old running the night shift of the cheapest hostel in barcelona A lot of people would just come up to me at the desk and ask me very interesting requests, but maybe that's a story for a different time. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, these times you didn't need to have a visa, right? No, I, I most certainly did not. It was just kind of show up at a country, still in the EU, get
0: there, and then just kind of, you know, I can do whatever I want, even without a job. Yeah. Cause yeah. so you left your place just at the right time. And for future biographists, we can conclude that Lowry Ray was interested in politics from the very young age. <laughs> no, that's, that's bad to say. Yeah, uh, I studied it. Yeah, year. for all the fans of Succession who've seen the last season, you they will appreciate it. That's like a hidden gem. Anyway, yeah, it's actually a very, very cool details of 18-year-old you <laughs> just coming out of small town to the one of the biggest cities in Europe, working at the cheapest hotel, hostel, sorry, in Europe. But I remember you were telling me about your side job, side geek. I'd on the bites. Oh yeah. That was a couple of that was a
1: couple of years later. But yeah, I got up to a, kind of a few things. What really led to that was that I had worked very briefly for kind of a promotion nightclub sort of thing where you'd go out and go and take take tourists on a bar crawl sort of thing. Very kind of classic summer job, which people do, which I, I didn't love necessarily. Kind of my first sales experience, I suppose, and I absolutely sucked at it. Just going up to random people on the street and being like, hey you want to come to this bar crawl thing and yeah so that wasn't much fun but through that company a couple of years later they ended up offering me a bike tour role which was pretty interesting kind of the whole model was that i rented the bikes from the the promotion company themselves and then i would give them some kind of five euros per person and got paid only in tips so i would go to basically Throughout this whole three-hour tour, taking people all around the city, all the landmarks, delivering the spiel, kind of putting a little street theatre kind of into it. And at the end of it, just kind of say, hey, I get paid in tips, so please just feel free to give whatever you like. Mm -hmm. And some of these Americans, you know, with a big tipping culture, sometimes I'd have groups of like 20 Americans at a time, and they'd give me like 40, 50 euros a person sort of thing. And, I mean, it was a good gig in the summertime. Obviously, it's not sustainable all year round. But during summit, it was a lot of fun. And I did that for a, kind of really about a year, year and a half and uh, did okay off it <laughs> for a while. And that was a lot of fun.
2: You're talking about tipping culture. Yes. So yeah. I've heard about the Americans over tipping sometimes and how it's kind of part of the culture and you cannot just escape it, but no. it's different in Europe. So how does that work in Spain and how does it work? in your country
1: it's a kind of a similar i think most european countries have the same kind of attitude towards it which is like you leave a little bit sometimes after yeah. a meal or something like that but there's no standard like everyday transaction yeah. tip or everyday transaction kind of service cost if you guys have ever been in the states i remember going to a bookshop in washington dc and just buying a book and you see the price it's like ten dollars or something for this book and you get to the counter and they're like oh that's sixteen dollars and 29 cents and you're like what? I and mean, they're like, service cost, this tax, this extra mm-hmm. hidden on shit. I don't know. I feel like it's very disingenuous, the whole thing. But in Spain, it's kind of similar to here, just a little bit with a, me- a bit fancy
0: meal. You're sure about that? I mean, I would assume that your site job would not work the same in the Netherlands because, yeah, there are a lot of tourists, especially in summer, coming from all over the place, from the US as well. But as far as I know, tipping people here is not something you usually do yeah the distinction
1: i suppose is that the bike tour the whole concept of it was that it was a free tour so they show up to a tour and people get oh, i'm getting a great deal so when i really lay on the guilt at the end them, yeah you know that was kind of where yeah. it, where it would come in i'd really kind of get a little tear run down my cheek and say you oh, know, i'm struggling <laughs> to pay rent guys so i suppose that was kind of the main differential factor there and people are on holiday but yeah otherwise kind of you know spain it's not it's not a big tip in culture either all right yeah What other activities have you been doing back in Spain? So I worked, you know, a variety of sales jobs. I worked for a company that kind of sold, I suppose, timeshare, this kind of scummy kind of holiday resort thing to people in the UK. That was not a lot of fun and I'd not like to dwell on it too much, to be honest with you, but I did it for like a person who can attract people on the vacation. You know, I'm wearing a kind of a floral shirt at the minute. So, you know, quite Hawaiian-esque, but this was all over the phone. Unfortunately, there was no (laughs) face-to-face element of it. So they couldn't see my, my garments during that. It was, and it was pre zoom days, I suppose. So yeah, I worked as well as a sales agent for HP for a long time, which was, I don't know, kind of my first real legit. Sales job, Windows, computer a, company, the computer company. Yeah, indeed. I sold printers, you know, a thriving sector forever. ever was one, right?
0: And printers, definitely <laughs> the, the not a Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so did you experience any troubles in terms of not having a high education, like not having a bachelor degree? That's uh, a good question, but mm, Yeah. I would say that not necessarily in Spain, it, it
1: wasn't really too much of an issue. I mean, obviously it's quite commonplace in, in Spain as well to go to university, but I would say maybe the levels of people who just have a high school education are maybe higher than here. Spain's not as wealthy a country as the UK or Netherlands or something like that. So yeah, I would say it was less of a problem there than it is here. Applying a lot of the time when you apply for jobs it's kinda of like mandatory sort of Yeah. Just in anything, you know, it could be a bloody witchcraft or something, you know, completely yeah. nonsensical or something I still like have that. To no.
2: have masters in witchcraft. Yeah,
1: you know, no offense to the witches <laughs> out there. No,
0: I mean I think you should have a PhD. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. We all are looking for the proper jobs still we have some side gigs going on, but still need to secure our visas. And one of our main focuses in our podcast is actually a kind of a job hunt related topics mm-hmm. and yeah, it's pretty much interesting. The differences between the countries uh, in terms of like having or not having obligatory higher education because on LinkedIn in the Netherlands, yeah, I think we all just bump into yeah, like percent 95% of, of the bachelor master's. And not only that, for example, you have the appropriate skills, you have appropriate experience, but you don't have a degree in stamps, for mm-hmm. example, like like technical stuff. So yeah, it's also not very inclusive, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, you have a lot of work experience, like hands-on experience, kind yeah. of like mm-hmm. theoretical stuff. Whereas I mean, on the other hand i have the degrees but i don't have the experience which also not ideal
1: yeah it's definitely helped helped out uh, quite a bit in terms of job hunt over here having said i've got three four years in sales experience coming over to here and uh, as much as at the time you, you really think that it's everything it's have a university degree when applying for jobs at the end of the day especially in the sales sales field it's really about showing Motivation or experience, or kind of having this drive. If you can go to an interview when you're talking about sales and talk about your past achievements, and you mm-hmm. can just basically be like, hey, listen. I'm going to just be the guy. I'm just going to do everything that you could ever want. Sell it to them a little bit. Then that's kind of all you need, really. But yeah, I would say kind of, yeah, it it does depend on the Mm -hmm. field that you're going into. I I assume something like urban design or architecture is a little bit more More degree degree dependent.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, whereas sales, on the other hand, I think it's more of a talent rather than a skill. You can have all the courses and degrees in the world but if you yeah. cannot sell and you don't know how to persuade people yeah. you cannot Negotiated. do the job yeah. yeah i mean i could tell that larry is a very good salesman because his co-workers were chatting behind his back oh yeah actually just a couple of days ago when we won the race yeah we're gonna come back to that but yeah when we were waiting for you and he told us like i'm around the corner and you were very uh, kind of persuasive telling us that you will be there in a second. We were waiting for you. I think Roger told us, never trust a salesperson. I I think that's a very fair uh, thing to, yeah. The old sales saying
1: is, uh, you don't bullshit a bullshitter, you know. (laughs) Talking
2: about your industry or line of business, so you Mostly worked in event management, hospitality slash sales.
1: So uh, traditionally, when I was working, I'd be kind of at HP in Boston. I was had this kind of technical sales yeah. background, uh, that sort of thing. When I first moved over to the Netherlands, I started working for a company not too far away from here called i3z.net. Yeah, so Smart DC. Who are Is it the, the one at the next to the Nello factory, Yeah, 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 indeed. So they're a really well-established hosting service. Basically, they sell data center, server racks, and data centers, things like that, and kind of low-latency gaming connection kind of thing. But yeah, very much selling physical hardware again, selling servers and that kind of thing. So. That was more of a technical experience. I, you know, my HP experience meant that I could work there and get on all right. But honestly, the fact that everybody kind of you're speaking to that is very of a technical background. They all live in their mum's basement. They've all got long neck beards and stuff like that. And they will just want to check you the whole time and kind of like, oh, do you really know what kind of the model this is? How many fans has this kind of got? You know what I mean? So not exactly the most people friendly. I don't know. I got a little bit kind of disenfranchised. I wasn't loving this sector so much. I wasn't naturally so interested in it. So. Yeah, I started looking for something else. And, you know, I found this opportunity because I'm quite interested in environmental stuff like that, just you know, loosely. While I'm not the greatest student of it, it isn't born to me. So I saw this opportunity. I thought it was, was a fantastic thing to get involved in. And I just knew that kind of working in events as well. You're going to speak to people who are a little bit more social. People I speak to now are kind of more like marketing types, people who actually know how to have a conversation Mm -hmm. to really pretend to be interested in what you have to say. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a new thing for me.
2: If you could list like three main key, I don't know, requirements or maybe key skills that you have to bring to every job Mm -hmm. in tech sales or just general sales, what would that be?
1: Yeah, I think obviously the big one is motivation. I mean in sales it sounds quite cliche but it's a bit of a roller coaster you know you'll have great months you'll have less than stellar months you'll have ups and downs with it so it's just about kind of keeping your head down and being not letting the shit months get you down not letting people get grind you down the wrong way you spend two months working on a deal and it falls through sometimes it's just going to happen that's just the nature of it so i would say motivation's a big one number two is actually believing in what you're selling as well which is why i struggled a little bit in the tech side, sales side of things because i wasn't really that interested in it. I didn't really think that much about it. Mm -hmm. While now I'm kind of working in a field which I feel is actually doing something positive, it's something interesting and exciting and very relevant considering kind of current times. So I think actually having an inherent interest in what you're doing is just a great key to be successful in sales. And lastly, I don't know, not taking it too seriously at the end of the day, kind of being a light attitude towards it as well. Obviously, you can believe in what you're doing, you can be motivated, but you've got to be Easy going with it all as well, just don't get too stressed out by it, just you have to kind of take it bit by bit. Cool.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry to ask, but how you ended up at the House Bizarre? Oh yeah, so that was... <laughs> Wait, before before that, yeah. just tell us the transition between
1: Spain and the Netherlands. That yeah. was literally, it ties in very well to this. Yeah. So, you know, I, I decided to move over from Spain with my girlfriend at the time because You know, she wasn't getting paid the best. She was working as a front-end developer and was like, hey, listen in the Netherlands. I can get paid basically three times what I'm getting paid. So obviously the minimum wage sort of stuff in Spain isn't great and uh, wages aren't fantastic. So we decided to try something a little bit new. And when I first came over here, the fact that bloody speaking English isn't so much a commodity as it is in Spain. You know, speaking English with the standard that everybody speaks here and as you were saying as well everybody's kind of got a higher education it's kind of necessary so when i first got over here i was like what am i going to do looking around for a job for a little bit and wasn't too successful at first mm-hmm. so of course the orange called me i was the the, the boys in orange the face resort the the this is our international audience it's the just eat i believe is the equivalent kind of a board but they call it face resort here so yeah working bike delivery stuff for i think it was kind of 6 or 7 months overall it, you know what it, I started at a sales job here and I just wasn't really enjoying it at all. It was head down, you hit this number of dials a day. So I was like, I can get paid better just going on a bike and hanging around the city center and zooming around on those electric bikes. So, you know, what? I really enjoyed my experience there overall. As much as you get better pay, it's nice to just be able to work with your headphones in, listening to the music you want, not necessarily having somebody on your ass, looking over the shoulder the whole time, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like no kind of micromanaging. You just do five hours a day, zip around the city a little bit and make some all right tips as well, talking about tipping culture as well. Mm -hmm. Some people give you some, some nice little things because just as I started doing it, we kind of got into the pandemic a little bit. Well, full on, like in the kind of the first main <laughs> yeah, you know, lockdowns. So people were like throwing 10 euros per delivery at me and stuff like that. And people would like, clap at you and yeah. <laughs> things like that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. wow. Their the interaction with the outer world back in the day. Yeah, yeah, really. Granny's wanted to chat with me and I just kind of like chatting away to me in Dutch. <laughs> and I'm just nodding my head going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's> great, <laughs> great. Right? So it was a really interesting experience, honestly. And then, yeah, as I say, you know, during that kind of time, I was looking around for jobs and that whole thing but I would recommend it kind of as a transition job because they're always looking for people it's uh, I think the pay's gone up as well considerably after p- the pandemic it's not a minimum wage job yeah and you can get to know the city quite well oh. just by cycling around I think you know every street cool, yeah. every corner yeah. of the That's street true honestly kind of all over the city as well now i picked up on a few tricks and tips as well like certain spots where you can go with your bike and you wouldn't get the job so you just sit <laughs> there and kind of listen to your music <laughs> you go for an hour and nobody gives you a thing but you speak to guys and you get tips about these kind of like
0: black spots where you can just go and nobody's gonna pick up a new kind of thing so can you tell that thanks to the Thousand Thousand south bazaar to you Became a big fan of music and started your own band. I,
1: you know, I would love to give all the credit to Thaispisode, <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, the seeds were planted a, quite a while before <laughs> then, but you know, I had a lot of time to listen to music and a lot of stuff, but uh, I appreciate that transition. So okay, that was uh, very smooth <laughs> I played music in a band here with a friend who's also from Russia and yeah, we've been doing it for, for a little while now and just kind of wickled one another. We, we put a couple of singles out over the last couple of months. And uh, we can expect our EP to go out on August nineteenth. Oh, nice. We're doing a show on the very same day, and I'm going to be very upset if I don't see all three of you there. August nineteenth, save the date. Yeah, and so that's going to be a lot of fun. It's our first show. I'm organizing it, uh, so I've selected two local bands. One of them is my girlfriend's band, who are very cool, very fun and yeah another local band quincy and the david so yeah that's going to be fun it's going to be in tracks at the dv studio i don't know if you guys have ever been but it's quite a
0: nice little venue so uh, yeah save the day keep an eye out watch this yeah space. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. we'll be there yeah cool Yeah, 100%. But sorry, I I think I disrupted the storyline a little bit. No, Uh, no, I like it. So the pandemic (laughs) happened. You were chatting with grannies to listen to music on the benches. Yes. And uh, yeah, like how you managed to get out of the um, delivery job? or What was your next occupation?
2: How did you transition into... Your current job, I guess.
1: So as I say, during the delivery stuff, I kept on looking around for kind of tech sales jobs. And I eventually found that one, i3d.net, which is kind of the, the server, the hosting provider, which is not too far away from here. So the job market at that time as well was very competitive. I was really lucky because it was a quite, quite a funny story. I think there are like over 100 applicants for the job. And two of us made it through kind of a junior sales role in the first place. And I think a big part of why I got it as well, and this is a bit of advice as well in terms of like interviews and sales side of things. Yeah. In a sales interview, just tell people that you love reading sales books. Self-improvement. <laughs> books. Well, yeah, kind kind of, but there's a couple of specific ones you have to look out for. And there's one which I was made to read a couple of times when I was working for HP. And it's this kind of ancient book tome from the 80s called a uh, spin system spin selling hmm. and it's a very clever acronym do i remember what it actually stands for now yeah the situation anyway it's an acronym for something so then the name of the book will be sufficient to impress the it, honestly it, that it was exactly that because i had the sales manager in the interview with me and he was like do you ever read sales books at all and i said yeah spin selling and he turned to the guy next to him with a smile on his face and he goes I tell these guys all the time they should be reading this. Yeah. This is it. And he pulled it out from his bag. He pulled out a copy of the book of his bag. And wow. he was, like, just smiling. Wow. And I was like, I am a lucky bastard. I mean, I am so smooth. I oh, can't believe it. So, yeah. I called me the next week, and I got the offer, as I say, from 100 people. Were there people who were infinitely more qualified for it? Yeah, but because I knew the name of this goddamn shitty book, which isn't even that good, they really helped me out. So, yeah. So, Been are still. you
2: seeing knowing or like vibing with the interviewees would help a lot.
1: Big time, I think, yeah, just kind of picking up a little bit on what kind of person, if you can tell that they're really into that sort of thing, then you just kind of got to lean into it a little bit more. As much as you you know, you know, don't want to create a false impression of yourself, it's the same thing like going on a first date, right? You want to kind of get the best version of yourself out there, right? You want to, without trying too hard or making it too unnatural or sort of thing like that, you just got to be cool with it and if someone's interested in something,
0: pick up on that and, and, and run with it. So basically, we can say that your proper career in the Netherlands started thanks to this random book. I will say, yeah, thank you to the author's name, who I
1: forget, and for writing it in the 80s. This random book has, has, has did me a lot of favors and really helped kind of take my sales <laughs> career to the next step. And, you know, as much as I kind of didn't love the, the previous work I was doing, it was a good stepping stone to what I'm doing now, which I genuinely,
0: really enjoy and really like. Sorry, I have the question, just, I don't know, maybe a bit theoretical, but... To what extent do you think being a native speaker, and especially from England, from UK, influenced your development in the sales industry? Do you consider that you had much bigger advantages from the beginning? It's curious because in the previous role I was working, I had to speak to kind of a
1: lot of Dutch native speakers. So that was, as somebody who doesn't really speak any Dutch at all, I speak a little bit, but barely worth mentioning. Um, And they, yeah, clean uh, <laughs> As much as kind of in the actual interview itself, you can kind of get away with a child a little bit of hamming up the Englishness in the long run. It was a little bit of a hindrance because people who I'm sure applied for a job who were native Dutch speakers who were speaking to Dutch clients and they go, why is some arsehole calling me from a Dutch number in my own country <laughs> and speaking English to me and asking, you know what I mean? So, and it's a Dutch company, so... As, as multilingual as it is here yeah. and as the quality of english is, is great here i think during the interview process perhaps yeah but actually when it comes to the job itself actually maybe mixed back, mixed bag back, yeah 100 percent. the current current job i'm doing i speak with uk nordic stuff like that so and uh, that's uh, that's really kind of when it's and israel as well so i get good reception to the englishness there
0: <laughs> yeah yeah do you think that since then the dutch requirements even became stricter in terms of the job hunt I don't know. It's curious. I couldn't say
1: necessarily so much. I mean, the the job role I'm, I'm doing currently did say that they were looking also for kind of a Spanish speaker as well. So the fact that I do speak Spanish, not to like a an incredible degree, and I'm very out of practice, was a big factor. But I think there's kind of a lot of international jobs in the Netherlands. I'm sure quite a lot of companies would prefer native Dutch speakers. I think they're also quite realistic about the amount of expats, the amount of people
0: here who don't, Speaking Dutch. Yeah. Maybe the LinkedIn algorithm went wrong with me, but just like every other job is uh, <laughs> yeah, asking my level of in Dutch. And I think most of the applications, they even don't come through, but it was funny actually today I applied for a job. I wrote a motivational letter, of course with the help of GPT. but I mean, I'm just, I just got tired. I wrote like more than a hundred of them. So it's insane. Anyway, I applied for the job, whole complex CV, motivation letter. I think within fifteen minutes I got a reply, ninety nine percent of our clients are Dutch. <laughs> so No no not a chance. But it was not an automatic message. I think they have a copy paste like photo. <laughs> no. applic- applic- yeah. yeah. So wait. Like, yeah, it's, uh, that's rough. As I say, there is quite a high standard. And
1: you're looking at the moment. You say, I remember you were telling me about an experience where you went for an interview and they were kind of speaking to you a little bit in Dutch and trying oh, to I, I, I,
0: I wasn't speaking that much. I just prepared some of the phrases. But for some reason, maybe I was just, I don't know, very motivated to understand what they're saying. So I actually understood what they said. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Everything's Okay. And then, then I politely ask them in Dutch, should they continue in English? They're like, yeah, for sure. Prima, prima Nederland. <laughs> 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 A gesture is important, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I sure. mean, they, they value that stuff. But surprisingly, if you try to speak with them in Dutch and you're not that good in it, I mean, 99% chances they're going to switch to English. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Because
2: why wasting time, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the pay gap between your partner and yourself because the assumption is that if that person works in a tech industry the chances are that they're
1: making very good money yeah, yeah that was a hundred percent the case you know me on um, we're wearing the
0: orange on the on the face yeah plate. yeah so so basically just compare tech industry through the delivery
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> genuinely though it is an interesting the question because it's these jobs are in such high demand and so much so that they kind of even paid for a relocation package for us to come over here so they basically helped us out they had a, a housing agent get us set up with a, with a place actually not too far from here where i first originally moved Over in Prince Alexander in Rotterdam, obviously it was a very real thing, even when I got my first real job here, massive pay discrepancy, and I I know her kind of job she was doing was only a junior role as well, and Mm -hmm. even with that, while I was junior to media kind of level, there was still
0: a massive discrepancy. Do you think you would even move to the Netherlands like that without being in a relationship with a person from the tech industry? (laughs) I mean, just would you risk moving after Spain to the Netherlands and just starting on your own moving as a delivery guy? That's a good question. I wouldn't have been able to fund the move or fund kind of living just purely
1: off a delivery wage for myself. So I was definitely blessed to be kind of with a partner at that time. Right. But... Overall, yeah, I was kind of getting five years, and somewhere is quite a long time. Rolling Stone gathers no moss, and all that. You want to switch it up a little bit, change of scenes. I'd been to the Netherlands once before, kind of in February, actually, down in Maastricht to go see my friend who was studying there, and I was really impressed by it. I thought It was super beautiful, especially in kind of the winter time as well. The blankets out on the chairs and the bars and stuff like that, and all that. Yeah, they're great, as they say. Oh, yeah. uh, so I was very impressed by the Netherlands, and kind of when I was, you know, I maybe mean, I could could live there someday. I wouldn't necessarily go. In blind to living in the Netherlands, if you wanted to move there, come with a job offer just because the cost of living, kind of, no matter if you're in the big city, if you're in Amsterdam or in, in Rotterdam or the, one of the kind of the smaller cities, it's still costly compared to some other places. And did you move to the Netherlands before Brexit or after? I actually moved... After it been finalized, so it was in 2016 that the actual vote was mm-hmm. done, but of course it was a very chaotic process. Who would have guessed, right? It was hairbrained, and there was all these different types of Brexit, soft, the hard Brexit that was being discussed. Mm-hmm. I think it was kind of when things came into effect. It was actually either late 2019 or tw- early 2020. Mum mm-hmm. uh, would kill me for not knowing this exactly. But uh, when I moved over here, kind of the process was actually really simple to stay in the Netherlands, because basically I just had to show that I was employed. I had a contract, a job offer and stuff like that. They just gave me residency, basically, and said, you know, you can just stay here as long as you have a kind of a working contract, stuff like that. I think even if I don't as well, it's also fine now.
0: Yeah, but after the Brexit, you maybe now understand better what it's like for the people outside of EU to yeah. so yeah. come yeah. here. Yeah, If they are not coming here for study and you don't have a student visa or no party visa, uh, Startup visa. Uh, Startup yeah, visa, start the it. South resort won't even hire you because, yeah, another yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, chance. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's tough. It's definitely a sobering thought now to think that just
1: a, another 18 year old like me in the same situation can just be like, hey, I'm just gonna go try out some other random European hmm. city now. It has to be an official thing, it has to be a lot more rigorous process. And, uh, yeah, as I say, I, I really hate it. It's not ideal. In fact, my dad is actually just got his Irish passport finally. Great grandma was Irish or something like that, but he managed to claim it so that now he can continue being an EU citizen, which oh, is, uh, okay. Would you grant? Lucky for him. Yeah. yeah. I can't claim it. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. you know, That's the but, uh, yeah, it's an un- 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 unfortunate, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate the Irish terminology used. Uh, a yeah. There we go. We ain't got any more. <laughs> um, yeah. So good for him. Really happy for him. Cause he's actually pro- owns property in Spain. So he's in this weird situation where he would have to basically spend three months in the own house that he owns and then he would have to leave the country for three months to go live somewhere else during that time and then go on this rotation kind of thing. So very weird, very bizarre, but hey, it's all on an end now.
0: Yeah, it's handy to have your passport. Most definitely. Most definitely. You guys want to marry any? Yeah, somebody somebody can provide me with marriage. Yeah, we have Uh, an email. Wow. Oh, bags oh, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, just, just, just send me a proposal I can marry easily. Okay. Yeah. I'm a very fit person, Larry can tell. I, I can tell that. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah. speaking of which, for fit people and everything, I can tell that your are improved. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Talk, talking of a transition to this guy, you know what I mean? Oh wow, my god! Uh, yeah, yeah. What's happening? What happened? You started doing some activities. So... Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what you're getting at
1: is that you and I two days ago, <laughs> but took took part in a very prestigious event which has been running for a couple of years now, organised by Cycling for Climate called the Climate Classic. It's a really interesting kind of sportive event which happens annually. There's three different lengths that you can do. It can be either 125, 250, or 375. It's a
2: cy- purely cycling event.
1: Purely cycling event, and it kind of runs along a theoretical coastline. of the Netherlands should, you know, sea levels continue to rise, and so we continue to go through kind of climate change as we are now, and it accelerates. So... Really fun event. I had a great time doing it. First time doing something like this. I think Sergei was like, just kind of, when we got to the end, he was like just getting warmed up, you know what I mean? This guy's what are you? John Johnny Johnny Bicycles over here, you know what I mean? He was, uh, the cycle's a lot. So
0: yeah, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. How about you? How, what was your experience of it? I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was not even a race for me. It was just, yeah, it's a nice ride. I had a few breaks uh, waiting for you. I was oh. happy. <laughs> I mean, come on! No. I was happy. I was happy to share a co, co-, co-, co- coffee and gel with you. Very much appreciated. No, I actually feel proud of you because as I know, you don't have a big of a history with sports and with cycling. You just started doing it last time, and actually, it was the first time we came on a ride. I can tell from your scarf, which is still
1: still fresh, still man. there. Yeah,
0: you just you just fell on the on the ground. It was a bit hilarious. It's quite funny. No, I,
1: I laughed. I was laughing about it too. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. But I didn't well, shit. Like. For, our <laughs> listen,
0: for our listeners, to wear a helmets if you're doing a like a sport bike thing. It's important. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it's a very good mission. It's very important to just raise awareness. And uh, even with the jerseys, uh, which we all have now, it's written. It's made out of seven or eight plastic bottles, and that's uh, a very <clears throat> Nice message to the people. Actually, there were like a couple not very pleasant moments when car drivers were acting a bit aggressively and they were passing quite close. They were kind of showing them their point, but um, I think your colleagues also in the British slang told a few words, mm-hmm. but I don't want to repeat them on our podcast. Yeah, actually, nice lets. Can I call them lets? I'm not course sure I can. call them lets. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're like twice
1: older than me, but... I think I think certainly Paddy is. He was, he's 55. Here, I think, is in his mid-30s, but, uh, you know... Yeah. Yesterday, we were all lets, so... Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It was a good atmosphere, and everybody was very, very encouraging, and as you said, all three of you are far more experienced cyclists than I, and you were kind of very... Generous, waiting around for me at certain points and hanging no around. Fuss, no fuss at um, all. So it was really nice to kind of have that. At a certain point, in about eighty kilometers, I started flagging a little bit because we really came to it in the first half. We we pushed we
0: pushed pretty hard in the first half, at least by my standards. Yeah. So yeah, for our cycling listeners, Laurie hit the wall. For our non-cycling listeners, <laughs> yeah. who might be confused, hitting the wall means hitting your limits and kind of yeah. energy drop big yeah. time and yeah. kind of when you fall off. I
1: mean, I kept on cycling. I didn't like ever really stop apart from just a couple of times to find the group or catch up to people and stuff like that but when we started going against the wind kind of about 80 to 80 to 90 kilometers really sucked you burned kind of around 2000 calories at that point and you're starting to feel your energy levels drop a lot so uh, yeah that was tough part of it but these guys were generous enough to to weigh up for me a little bit i caught up to them Sergei gave me this uh, the divine gift of a caffeine gel, which gave me the shakes on the bike. It really saved me, though. It gave me a kick up the ass, which I much needed at that point. And then we started doing a similar pace at the end that we'd been doing at the start. I didn't feel too destroyed by the end of it, which was nice. Definitely would invest in some more padding on the bottom area, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. on, on on the arse if I may. <laughs> but uh, yeah, overall, really fun experience. I'd love to do it next year. I'd love to invite Sergei back to
0: do it again next year with the company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hope I will be able to. That seems like a cool event. So, and after hearing your stories, it seems like you don't afraid to try new things in exactly. general. Yeah life, like new jobs, new countries, new girlfriends. <laughs> I hope they are not uh, involved in drugs. No, <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not. I yeah. think it's I think... assessment. Yeah, in your 20s, it's, it's super important. So have you guys been to any music festivals here on Netherlands? Uh, before? Yet. We've been together with Laura. It was fun. Unfortunately, only for one day, I was able to go there. Next day, I was on the music festival in Belgium. I oh. like
1: guess who in, in utrecht yeah very
0: there. very good one the music venues the music kind of events in the netherlands in my perspective are one of the best one of the most innovative in you Europe. Just have to get the tickets yeah that's a really hassle, but ticket swap always here to help
2: yeah yeah indeed yeah. i mean talking about cycling being professional at that this guy sergey is like professional mountain goat my level of cycling is super dutch i just carry huge things on my bike And uh, yeah, what's the biggest object you carry it on your bikes?
1: It's, you know, it's an interesting (laughs) question because as I said, I'm currently in the middle of moving a bunch of stuff. I've been using those cargo, the cargo bikes recently and I've been taking loads of shit, really pushing it to the limit. So yesterday. I had my guitar amp, a couple of boxes, a stilling cast, like a storage unit as well, like shelves, like on the bike. And it's like Mm -hmm. so wide, a meter wide or something. And I'm nearly knocking people off as I'm cycling. You're using the cargo bike, I'm using the cargo bike, yeah. So actually on my bike
0: itself, I don't know, maybe me the heaviest thing I've carried. But, you know, still about you guys. On my city bike, I carried... Rocket, our uh, friend of ours. <laughs> okay. uh, Another adult. Okay. Yeah, pl- plenty of times, but yeah, not like a big object, actually.
2: Yeah, I see.
0: Yeah, I carried some Sergei's stuff. His old <laughs> and, apartment. And
2: Sergei as well, I guess.
0: And Sergei as well. Yeah, we all carry each other on our bikes up the bar crawl. So supportive. But uh, yeah, we touched upon so many topics. I don't know, guys, do we maybe have any additional questions? Or, Laurie, uh-huh. you have additional comments after that? I would say you know
1: that's that's my entire existence. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we covered it all. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun. Isn't and that's
2: your childhood traumas, for instance.
1: Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe part two. Uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> a little bit down down the road. <laughs> this really is a therapy session, huh? But no. Thanks so much, guys. Really
0: appreciate you having. Best of luck with the podcast. Has been good so far. Thank and, you so much. Uh, yeah. Thank Best. you. Best of luck with your bands and all your shenanigans. <laughs> <and> it's <Tonight's> my <laughs> Come. New tracks. Buy tickets. Um, yeah. It was such a ple- pleasure having you here. And let's wrap up, open my delivery, and go to our friend's birthday, Rocket. An amazing Another amazing. transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, thank, thank you all. Thank you all. Bye bye. See you. Bye bye. Do-